0: You know, whenever we come together to worship in God's house, um, especially, can I just be blunt and honest, especially on uh, what some people see as religious days, Uh, I have found in the past that very often on these days, sometimes it's actually more difficult to enter into the presence of the Lord because there's like a, there's a form, a method. There's, and sometimes I pray often, Lord, break that. Whenever we come into worship, we want to come into his presence and worship spirit to spirit. Yeah? And so I encourage you, if there was a little stretching for you, I know for most of you, you're like, we should have just carried on. I mean, don't you want to sit down and uh, let's just worship? I'm like that, I understand. But as people are growing in the expression of worship and praise, um, is to partner with the spirit and to worship God from from a heart that is just... Even if I don't understand, I worship you, Lord. And it's just wonderful, wonderful to do that. Um, last week, who was here last week? Oh, junior youth. I'm being told I have to say something about junior youth. So whatever I need to say about that, let's, let's say that. You are dismissed. To go, go to where you should go. Thank you. Sorry, I don't know all the details, because normally someone else does that. So last week, God... Just we've been speaking about the river of God. I'm not gonna do that now. But you know, God really moved with us last week and there were people all over on the floor and God was moving powerfully. And I just want to encourage you. If you were here and God just touched your heart, it doesn't matter necessarily what happened on the outside. There were a lot of manifestations and so forth, and that's fine. But it's it's what happens here. And I just want to encourage you, please write that stuff down. Please send us your testimony. Please send us an email. This is what God did. He set me free from this. Or he changed my heart to this. Or he, he gave me a heart for my spouse. That I, or he gave me a, an eye for my spouse that I didn't have. He broke addiction. He set me free from a bondage. He, Whatever it may be, he spoke to me about this. If it's not too personal, we would love to hear. Because in the Old Testament, when God would move in the days of David, of King David, the height of Israel in the Old Testament, they actually appointed people to record what God had done. Because you have to steward it. Hello? Mm. We must steward when the Holy Spirit moves. We want to steward it and have a mature response to that. Amen? Amen. So please send us your testimonies, and for those of you who are thinking, I know everyone else will, so I probably don't need to. Don't think like that. That, send us. We would love to hear. Amen. All right, so we're going to go through a lot of scripture this morning. Can you guys say it's good to read God's word? Yes, we're going to read a lot of scripture this morning, and um, when I was a kid and I used to hear that, I used to be like, oh no. But... Um, but it's wonderful. So please, who has an actual Bible? Who still brings a physical Bible? Can you lift it up? Wonderful. For those, we're not allowed to say you're better. But uh, for those wonderful old schoolers, we will ask you put a finger in John chapter 11 and 12. And in Matthew chapter 20. And if you want to, Luke 18. We're going to flip back and forth and 19 between all three Versions, in a sense, of the story. And what I'd like to do is I want to speak today about what happened from three different perspectives. Just confession, I've preached this message before, and I felt the Lord told me to preach it again, because it is so essential for us to see just the power and the wonder of what actually happened on this day so many years ago, because it offers hope, actually, and freedom in a day where the Israelites were oppressed by Rome. And God's people were under oppression and they were confused and they were looking forward to something coming. Sounds similar. Hello. So, I wonder, we're going to start. We're going to look at it from Earth's view. 90% of the day is just going to be that. The way Earth saw it, the way hell saw it, and the way heaven saw it. Because each of them have a view and it's different. So, I'm going to do our best to just tell this as a story and to put us here as, as if we were there on the day. What was it like for them? What were they thinking? What was in their hearts? What was happening around them? So we're going to flip back and forth. Are you guys ready to do a little study? All right. I can feel that's wonderful. So let's start in John chapter 11. Jesus has laid Lazarus from the dead, and um, it's drawn some attention. And uh, the religious leaders sought to kill him because of that. So let's read John chapter 11. This is the setting the stage. Verse 50. Actually, let's go to verse 45. And uh, it says, Then many of the Jews who had come to Mary and had seen the things Jesus did believed in him. But some of them went away to the Pharisees and told them the things Jesus did. Then the chief priests... And the Pharisees gathered a council and said, What shall we do? For this man works many signs. If we let him alone like this, everyone will believe in him, and the Romans will come and take away our place and our nation. A religious heart worried about status and institutionalization. So, then if you go down to verse 53, it says, And because of this they discussed, it says, Then from that day, from that day on, They plotted to put him to death. Therefore, Jesus no longer walked openly among the Jews, but went from there into the country near the wilderness to a city called Ephraim. Excuse me. And there he remained with his disciples. Now, the wilderness there refers to the wilderness of Judea. We don't have time to go into the maps, but like I'm trying to reverse it so you can see it. If Ephraim was up here and Jerusalem was down here, Jericho was over here. And they used to walk like that. Now, at this time, for them, the Feast of Passover is coming up. It's a very important time. It's one of the three uh, pilgrimage-type feasts in Israel. So they all used to go there. And so there were lots of people on the road and and traveling. All right? So now he's gone up to the city of Ephraim because they want to kill him far away. And he kind of stays there. Now, I don't think this is coming up behind me, but... If you have a Bible, flip to Luke chapter 18. And it says this. The same time, and I, we can't go through all of it to prove how it's all the same. I encourage you to not just believe me. Go test it out. It says, then he took, so now he's on the road. He's leaving Ephraim. And it says, he took the 12 aside and said to them, behold, this is Luke 18, 31. It's not coming up behind me. Behold, we are going up to Jerusalem. And all things that are written about the prophets concerning the Son of Man will be accomplished. Matthew 20, also not coming up, he says this verse 17. Now, Jesus, going up to Jerusalem, took the 12 disciples aside, the same story, and told them, in a sense, that he was going to suffer, he was going to die, he was going to be crucified. So they're going to arrest him, they're going to kill him, so he goes over there. He leaves. He says, Let's go over here. Now, imagine his disciples. Now, he tells them, Listen, we're going to go to the feast. And they're like, yeah, um, remember, the, remember the danger? They told you they're going to... And he's like, no, don't worry about it. We need to go. So that's actually how they're feeling. And what happens, Matthew 20, 29, it says this. Now, as they went out of Jericho, so they came from Ephraim all the way down to Jerusalem, but on the way is Jericho. That's, and on the way is Zacchaeus happened on the way. Blind Bartimaeus happened on the way. All of this happens around Jericho on their way to Bethany. And it says in verse 29, As they went out of Jericho, a great multitude followed him. And behold, two blind men sitting by the road. And it starts telling the story of blind Bartimaeus. Son of David, Son of David, have mercy on me. So a whole multitude begins to follow him. It says that. A great multitude followed him. And they begin to follow Jesus. And they're journeying from where he withdrew in the country I live in the country. Jay lives in the country. He told me that's where God lives, so I moved to the country. <laughs> that's, that's not true. That's, good job. <laughs> but a whole multitude begins to follow Jesus. They're all going to this yearly pilgrimage to take, uh, to take part in the feast. But now they start following Jesus, and they're seeing the wonders, the signs, the miracles, the change in Zacchaeus. Maybe if they were there, they got some money. Whatever. They sing all stuff and they are amazed and in wonder, and they're following the Lord. Now I go back how you guys doing good with this to John eleven again, the next verse we went to fifty three and fifty-four, and then fifty five, and it says, And the Passover the Jews was near, and many went from the country up to Jerusalem before the Passover to purify themselves. Then they sought Jesus. And spoke among themselves as they stood in the temple. What do you think? That he will not come to the feast? So they're saying this in the temple because there was a crowd that's following him. And I personally think it doesn't matter. We can't prove it. He stopped over with Zacchaeus. And I think some of those people carried on because they wanted to get to Jerusalem earlier they carried on and they went to Jerusalem to do all the purification rites that they had to do by the law of Moses and to prepare for the feast of passover so there's a crowd coming they're still following him and there's now a, in a sense a crowd already there and they start talking i mean they've told they've said they're going to kill him you think he's not going to come to the feast he's going to come that's in a sense what's happening of the day now The crowd is getting more excited and more excited and more excited because the miracles are happening. What did they actually believe? Well, in Luke chapter 19, it says this. Now, this is just after Zacchaeus, just after Zacchaeus has happened. It says, now, as they heard these things, verse 11, now, as they heard these things, he spoke another parable to them. Because he was near Jerusalem. He's leaving Jericho, really close to Jerusalem. They've just seen what's happened with the blind man. They've just seen what's happened with Zacchaeus. And it says, and uh, he spoke another parable because he was near Jerusalem. And because they thought the kingdom of God would appear immediately. So this crowd is like, this is awesome. And they thought the kingdom of God, as in When Jesus comes back, the kingdom of God that's coming, they thought that is going to happen now. So they got all excited. They said, man, he's going to come into Jerusalem. And when he comes in, boom, Rome is done. And we are rulers again. So we wouldn't call them selfish, but they're all excited because they're thinking this is what God has said. And it is. They just got the timing wrong. Uh, We've never done that, right? Mm. It's just me and them. You guys are amazing. So, now go to John 12. I'm just trying to paint a picture. It says, now John 12, verse 9, it says, Now a great many of the Jews knew that he was there. Okay? This is after he's actually come and they came not for Jesus' sake only, but that they might see Lazarus, whom he, being Jesus, had raised from the dead. But the chief priests plotted to put Lazarus to death also, because on account of him, many of the Jews went away, meaning they left the influence of the priests. They started to put their faith in Christ and believed in Jesus. So, They've been feeding, there's this crowd, try imagine this, they've been seeing miracles, they've been hearing truth, they've been around Jesus, they've known his presence, they've seen his power, and there's something building. They think the kingdom of God is coming now. They've been feeding on what Jesus is doing, not on what he's not doing. That's a recipe for personal revival. They're talking about Jesus at the temple. They're seeking out people who Jesus has touched mightily and interviewing them. What happened? How did it happen? They're filling themselves up on testimonies. All of these is like a recipe for personal revival. Jesus' fever, in a sense, has gripped this town. It really has. It's gripped these people, and they're trying to keep it under wraps. Because the leaders, the religious leaders, are saying, we're going to kill Jesus, not only, are we also going to kill this guy, Lazarus. Why? Because in religi- religiosity, or religianity, as I like to say, you must kill the supernatural testimony that you don't understand. I have to kill this testimony. It's outside of my theological box. I don't know what to do. We must remove it. We must get rid of it. Who knows what I'm talking about? Kill the testimony and then kill the king. Why? Because the feast of Passover is coming. And the feast of Passover is the Pharisees and Sadducees. It is their time to shine, man. This is like, this is our moment. This is like a big deal. We get like up front and things have to happen and everything has to be perfect and we've prepared all year. This is like, this is our stuff. But now this crowd is coming down the road and it's going to mess it all up. And so the tension is building. Literally, tension. People speaking. Is he coming? Are they going to kill him? What's happening? But faith is rising. Faith is rising. Faith is rising. It's like Jesus fever has gripped these people. And the Pharisees are trying to shut it down. But there's a crowd coming. And they will not be able to stop it. I think it's a little bit of what's happening in this nation. So... That was an introduction. Can we actually pray? Lord, I thank you for your word. And I thank you for this appointed day so many years ago. That you are faithful and true. I ask this morning, Holy Spirit, that you put faith and hope into our hearts. Through your word. That we can trust you, even when we don't understand. And we will see your kingdom come. In Jesus' name. Amen. So, now we're going to read. We're going to read two accounts, two full accounts of the triumphal entry. You guys good? So, go to John chapter 12. Let's go to verse 12. The next day, very important, a great multitude that had come to the feast, when they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, took branches of palm trees And went out to meet him and cried out, Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, the King of Israel. Then Jesus, when he had found a young donkey, sat on it, as it is written, Fear not, this is Zechariah 9, Fear not, daughter of Zion, that's Jerusalem, Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. His disciples did not understand, very important, His disciples did not understand at first. But when Jesus was glorified, Then they remembered that these things were written about him and that they had done these things to him. Isn't that amazing? Therefore, the people who were with him when he called Lazarus out of his tomb and raised him from the dead bore witness. In other words, they told people. And for this reason, the people also met him. They also, in a sense, went to Jesus because they heard that he had done this sign. The Pharisees therefore said among themselves, you see, you are accomplishing nothing. They're blaming each other. You're accomplishing nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. That word world is actually the word cosmos. So imagine the rage in the Pharisees. They're like, it's not working. We're trying to shut everything down. So they start blaming each other. Look, you've accomplished nothing. The whole cosmos is excited about Jesus. And they're kind of frustrated because they gave a command. They were like Jewish law. They gave a command. If anyone knows where he is, tell us so we may seize him. (laughs) They're like, no one's listening to us. No one likes us. No one thinks we have authority. And so they are getting increasingly enraged. Matthew 21, let's read that account. Now when they drew near Jerusalem and came to Bethpage at the Mount of Olives... Jesus sent two disciples saying to them go into the village opposite you and immediately you will find a donkey a donkey tied and a colt with her loose them and bring them to me and if anyone says anything to you you shall say the lord has need of them and immediately he will send them all this was done that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophet saying tell the daughter of zion zechariah 9 again behold your king is coming to you lowly and sitting on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. So the disciples went and did as Jesus commanded them. And they brought the donkey and the colt and laid their clothes on him, on them. So the disciples put their clothes on the donkey and the colt and set him on them. And a very great multitude spread their clothes on the road. Others cut down branches from the trees and spread them across the road and spread them on the road. Then the multitudes, remember I said there were some who went before and some who stayed behind. Then the multitudes who went before and those who followed cried out saying, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. So... They are singing something, as I said in the beginning of the service, the Psalms of Halal or the Psalms of Passover. And a lot of their big feasts where they used to make, there were three, they used to make pilgrimage for, they would sing these Psalms. Psalm 113, Psalm 118. And it would culminate in Psalm 118. Hosanna, which means save now. Hosanna. But they add two titles. They say, Son of David. Why Son of David? (laughs) Son of David... Has to do with a covenant that God made with David, declaring the Messiah will come from your bloodline in the natural. And he will establish a government and he will set it up and it will never end. And so the Messiah, the Son of David, so they start singing Hosanna, they start doing what they do every time at Passover, but now they're saying Son of David, Messiah, Messiah, Messiah. They add another title, King of Israel. So, so when he came into Jerusalem, verse 10, all the city was moved, saying, who is this? And so the multitude said, and then they got it wrong, right and wrong, this is the prophet. So they're declaring Messiah, according to the prophetic truth of scripture. Now, who's this? He's the prophet from Nazareth, instead of saying he's the Messiah from Bethlehem. which will explain why. Now, in order to have a little bit of understanding about this, I, I trust you can see the story. You see what's happening on, in the day. We need to understand all through the Bible, there are prophetic types. There's fulfillments, types, and shadows. All through Scripture, they, they represent something. They point to something. So we're going to look at some. There's many in this, in this last week. There's so many, but I'm just, we're just going to look at a few. Firstly, the donkey. Why a donkey? Why a donkey? Think about that. Well, Zechariah 9, as we know, prophesied that your Messiah, your king, will come to you riding on a colt. Actually, it seems to be that he rode on the donkey and then the colt, but I won't get into that. But he rode the colt into Jerusalem, and that is the fulfillment of the prophet Zechariah in 9 verse 9. But also, in ancient Middle Eastern times... When a king or a war general rode a donkey, it meant he came in peace. When he rode a horse, it meant he came for war. So here comes Jesus, and he does this strange thing. He's coming from, in a sense, a certain path. And if you study the maps, he leaves his route, and he goes up, back, up, like around again. And then he goes with the donkey. Why? Why? He takes the exact path that Solomon took when King David, the Messiah, son of David, took his own mule and gave it to his son Solomon, whose name means, who knows, peace, took the prince of peace, David's son, put him on a donkey and rode him up through this exact path into Jerusalem to declare him king. Jesus follows the exact same track. Saying, I am actually the real Prince of Peace. I am the real thing. That was a shadow. That was a type. But I come in peace. I come, Romans 5, to make peace between God and man. I also, make, I also come to make peace between man and man. I come as the Prince of Peace. Romans 5.1. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Ephesians 2. He himself, he himself is our peace. Peace is a person. Who has made both one, both meaning Gentiles and Jews, he has made both one and has broken down the middle wall of separation. And he preached peace to those who were near and peace to those who were far away. Because religion, religianity, puts up walls. Jesus breaks them down. If you were, it's in religion in the Old Testament, according to the law. If if you went to the temple, there were all these courts, inner courts, outer courts and courts. And if you were a Gentile, you could go so far. If you were a Jewish woman, you could go further than a Gentile man. You're like, hmm, better than you. If you were a Gentile man, you could go further than a Jewish woman. I mean, a Jewish man, you could go further than a Jewish woman. You're like, you have to stay here, honey. You know. And then if you were a priest, you could go further than just a regular ordinary man. And if you were a high priest, you could go all the way in. Jesus comes to smash down all of that and say, if anyone thirsts, come to me. And he came to bring peace. He fulfilled Daniel chapter 9. He fulfilled Zechariah chapter 9. And 1 Kings 33. The prophetic promise that the son of David will ride on a donkey from this place to that place. And that's the Messiah. Thousands of years ago. What about this verse the next day? John chapter 12. It says here, John chapter 12 verse 12. We already read it. The next day. Can we say the next day? Now, why is that? I know that's cheesy. I used to hate it when people used to make me say that, but it's going to happen again. So why is that important? Three little words, the next day. Well, this day is a very important day. It says in John 12, verse 1, describing, setting it up, it says, now six days before the Passover. The Passover was in the month of Nisan, and it's Nisan 15." Now, if you go to Exodus, which we'll go there in a second, you will see that on Nisan 14, they would kill the lamb. But then it says, that same night, you must eat it. A Hebrew day starts at twilight. Still today in Israel. The Hebrew day, because of creation, it was evening and then morning, the first day. So even now, in in Israel, it starts at twilight. The next day starts. Yeah? Yeah? Nisan 14th, kill the lamb that same night, Nisan 15th. So Passover is known to happen on the 15th. Now it says in John 12, 1, six days before Passover. So if you're good at math, you go 15 minus six equals Nisan 9. Then it says, so that's when it started. Then it says the next day. So what is this day? Nisan 10th. You guys are geniuses. All right. Why is this important? Well, through all these thousands of years since the Passover, what feast are they there celebrating? The Passover, right? This is Lamb Selection Day. If you were Jewish and you grew up in this time, you knew this. Nisan 10th, this is Lamb Selection Day. Look at Exodus 12, where it all started. It says, "Tell the Exodus 12, verse 3, Tell the community of Israel that on the 10th day of this month... Each man is to take a lamb for his family and one for each household. And then they were commanded, this lamb must stay, ladies, you won't like this, at least I know my mother won't like this, you must stay with this family for four days. And then, and 250,000 lambs were killed at about the time of Jesus. This is lamb selection day. All the lambs had to be examined and they had to live with the family so the lamb comes into the house for whom its blood will redeem on lamb selection day. Jesus, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world rides into Jerusalem on lamb selection day and they were given four days to test the lamb to make sure that it's without spot and without blemish That it's okay for the sacrifice. And we all know this. The good news is that the lamb is tested, not you. People could be doing whatever they wanted to do in the house. When the angel passed over, he looked for the blood. He didn't look at their behavior. So, Jesus rides in lamb selection day. And the next four days, they test him. I'll throw up a list. You can go home and study it if you want. They test his authority in Matthew 21. They ask him, by what authority do you do this? They test his politics in Matthew 22. They ask him about Caesar and taxes. They test his um, wisdom. The Sadducees ask him a question about the resurrection, not his resurrection, the resurrection at the end. And you know what it says? It says, um, it says they were astonished when he answered, then they tested his theology. The Pharisees questioned his theology. Which is the greatest commandment? And after it's the result is, and no one was able. Matthew 22:46. After all the testing, no one was able to answer him a word. Nor did they lay. Nor did that. Sorry. Nor from that day did anyone dare question him anymore. The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world joins the family for whom his blood will redeem and save. But he has to be inspected. Is he sinless? Yes. Then he has to be tested. Is he sufficient? And he was. There's a few more. What about palm branches? We can't go into this But it represents, they would do this at some of the great pilgrimages and the feasts, specifically the Feast of Tabernacles. But it also, in that day, represented strength and victory. In the ancient Greece, Greece in the, the beginning of Olympians, they would actually give, the first wasn't a gold medal, it was a palm branch, because it represented victory. So they start waving palm branches, and they started, which is according to the Jewish custom too, according to the law, get palm branches. And they start waving them and putting them down, which is in Leviticus. And they start singing, as I said, Psalm 118, verse 25 and 26, saying, Hosanna, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And then they call him the king of Israel. So what happens? Well, the Pharisees actually say this. They're singing the fulfillment of Psalm 118. This is the day. This day is the day that the Lord has made. It's an appointed day. And they're singing. Now they're calling him Messiah and King of Israel. And the Pharisees kind of get what's going on here. So what do they say? Luke 19. The Pharisees call to him from the crowd. Teacher, rebuke your disciples. It's like they know and he knows. They're like, teacher, rebuke them. You you and I know this is not okay what they're saying. They're calling you the Messiah. They're saying you're the King. So like, stop this. But he answered and said to them, "I tell you that if these should keep silent, the stones would immediately cry out. Immediately. Why? Because all of Jesus' life, he's staying hidden. Hidden. It's not the time. They're going to kill me. Okay, but not yet. So I've got to go to Ephraim. I've got to hide away. I've got to. It's not my time. It's not my time. This isn't appointed day. And Israel sees this is our king. This is the Lamb." This is the this is the victor's crown. This is the one, and Jesus knows that. But He knows still what they don't know. He's going to die. They're all excited because of what it means for them. He knows what He's about to face, but it has to be fulfilled, as He said to them, "We are going. All the things must be fulfilled." He said, "Listen, if they don't stop singing, the stones, if they stop, the stones will sing. This will happen." And then it says this, because of that, when they had come into Jerusalem, all the city was moved and said, who is this? That word in the Greek says the city was shaken, was shook. Wow. And they said, who is this? Who's this guy? They were looking for political freedom, but Jesus was doing something much bigger Friends, he knows the primary need of man is not cultural. It's not national, although that's needed. It's not political, although that's not needed. It's not financial, although that's needed. That's not the primary need. The Lord could show up here, in a sense, on the earth and take care of everything, cultural, national, political, financial, and make make perfect. But if he doesn't change the heart of mankind it'll literally probably take weeks for us to be back in the same spot because of greed and violence and jealousy and anger and status and why because man's need is here I need a born again I need born again, I need change I need here so Jesus rides in to take care of that and they're all excited because he thinks they're gonna take, he's going to take care of that and then lastly clothes I won't get into this one because we're going to have to land soon. They placed clothes on the road, the disciples. What was that? Well, this is one of the oldest and ancient, tra- uh, ancient traditions of a way to declare a king. So if you want the Bible to translate itself, which is always the best idea, you can go back. I think I wrote it down in 2 Kings chapter 9. The law first mentioned, the first time this ever happened, was when they anointed Jehu king and they put their clothes under him and anointed him king, declaring him king. Why of all the ways he could be declared king, why of all of the ways does Jesus choose that way? Does God make that happen? Who did Jehu kill? Jezebel. Jezebel grew up in Sidon. Her father was the high priest of Ethbaal a demonic God. He was the high priest. She was the priestess living in the temple. She was raised in the stronghold of, the, of, of Satan, basically. And she comes to start ruling and reigning over God's people. And Jehu took all of that down and restored the prophetic and restored the voice of the Lord to God's people and that God's people had hope and life and victory. And Jesus said, I've come to take care of of a kingdom that the devil is trying to set up and flip it upside down. Yes. So he chose this one. Jezebel, by the way, means lacking in honor. So that is earth's view. All of the stuff that's going on, some of them are standing and go, oh, that's, do you know what that means? That that that. The Pharisees are freaking out. All things are being fulfilled. Those, the crowd is happy. The disciples don't know what's going on. I don't know, I don't know, I don't know, like some dads, you know, like my kids are like, dad, do you know where this is? I'm like, no, I don't, like in the kitchen, no, I don't, like, I don't know. <laughs> so earth's view is a divided view. Can I say to you, it's still a divided view. What's hell's view? These are going to, very quickly, I'll read you something, well, very quickly, in a, in a very basic understanding, the devil was fooled. Let me read you this. It'll come up behind me. God fooled Satan around the birth and crucifixion of Jesus, keeping him always going the other direction or not quite seeing things clearly. Understand, Satan is a created being. He shares none of the attributes of Almighty God. That means that Satan is limited in knowledge, space, and power. The Holy Spirit does not enlighten his understanding. Holy Spirit will enlighten yours, but not the enemy's. He sees as the lost man sees, not with the mind of Christ. He cannot discern the word of God, which is why he is such a legalist. Everything has to be exact form and method. His insight and interpretation, therefore, is restricted to godless wisdom. Paul points out that if Satan had known what God was up to, he would never have stirred his godless wisdom. Religious, judicial, and governmental crowds to crucify him. God pulled the wool over Satan's eyes. God fooled him. 1 Corinthians says it this way. However, we speak wisdom among those who are mature, and yet not the wisdom of this age, nor the rulers of this age. That's speaking about principalities and powers. But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the ages for our glory, which none of the rulers of this age know. Or knew, For had they known, they would have not have crucified the Lord of glory. Satan was behind even the earthly people. It says that. It says Satan entered into the heart of Judas Iscariot. Satan was the, he's puppet. He's doing this. So what was Satan's thinking? He's like, man, these people don't know who he is. They think prophet, maybe Messiah, but even that they're thinking political. Satan's looking from the unseen realm going, These people don't know what's going on. So I'm going to stir them up. And I'm going to get them to kill him. It's like, because that's the son. Man, if I kill him, what a victory. Then I win. That's Satan's thinking. Because he knows. I know the law. God, you wrote the law. A life for a life. So it's like, I'm going to use your law against you. It's a life for a life. And stirs everyone up. Kill him. Then I win. Then I win. What's Satan's? What's hell's view? A prideful and presumptuous view. And it's still his view. What's heaven's view? Wish I had time to read all these scriptures to you. Here comes the king of kings, the master, the prince of peace. And this is actually really cool. I wish I could make this into a movie one day. Do you know that there was an eternal secret in the Godhead? There was a secret in heaven. Like literally a secret. That no one knew except God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. No one knew. And he rides into Jerusalem. And everyone's wrong. But he knows something. Let's read. We're going to read a bit. You guys still good for that? In him we have redemption, Ephesians 1. Through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace, which he made to abound toward us in all wisdom and prudence having made known to us the mystery of his will Ephesians 3 it says here in verse 3 that how by the revelation how by revelation he made known to me the mystery as I've written briefly verse 5 which in other ages was not made known to the sons of men as it has now been revealed by the Spirit, because this was after the cross, after the resurrection, it has now been revealed by the Spirit, His holy apostles and prophets, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body and partakers of His promise. Ephesians 3.8, it talks in verse 9, and to make all see what is the stewardship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the ages has been hidden in God. Colossians 1.27, to them, God willed to make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. The mystery that was hidden in heaven for thousands of years, with all that's transpired, with all that's happened, nobody knew anything about God, Christ, the Holy Spirit, coming to live in a human heart and giving you a new heart taking a heart of stone and giving you a heart of flesh and changing you from the inside out nobody knew that so the enemy is thinking I'm going to win and Jesus rides into Jerusalem sorry and he's weeping he knows that this worship this passionate crowd this worship is going to fade when what they want, when the kingdom doesn't appear immediately, when that, what they want doesn't happen, the worship will fade. The disciples will abandon him at the cross. They didn't even understand. It said They didn't understand what was happening. The passionate crowd will go home. The Romans would whip him. The religious leaders would call for his death. The politicians will betray him with silence. And the people will mock and spit on him. who are now singing to him. But he knew something they didn't. He's saying, I came for all of you. The Romans, the Greeks, the barbarians, the Scythians, the slaves, the free. I'm here for all of you. And none of you know what I know. None of you know what I I know. Because Jesus rides into Jerusalem. And this is his secret. Him and the Father. And he knows this is all going to change. But he knows something. When I die... I win. When I die, I win. Devil doesn't know that. People don't know that. But when I rise, you win. Because when I rise, I have made it possible in God's eternal justice to put me in you, to put my spirit in you and in a sense, to multiply me on the earth. Yes. If the devil had known that, he would have done everything he could to stop anyone touching Jesus. Don't go near him, don't touch him, give him preservatives, give him medicine, give him, just don't touch him, he must live forever, don't touch him. The lamb was inspected, the lamb was examined, and the wonderful truth about this, friends, is so simple. Nobody knew what they were doing. <laughs> Just like us. They were living in a dark time. The disciples didn't know what they were doing was fulfilling prophecy. Mary didn't know when she anointed him that she was preparing him for burial. The crowd didn't know what they were doing was fulfilling multiple prophecies. The Pharisees didn't know that what they were doing was fulfilling prophecy. Nobody knew. So, I want to encourage you. You don't have to understand to partner with God. Out of all I'm saying today, please hear me. You don't have to always understand to partner with Him. The disciples didn't understand, but they obeyed Him anyway. They, he said, Go do this. They said, Okay. You don't have to understand, but obey Him anyway. We don't have to understand. But praise Him passionately anyway, like the crowd did. You don't have to understand like Mary did, but worship Him and give generously anyway. You don't have to understand, but testify of the truth like Lazarus did. Testify anyway. Nobody knew what they were doing, but our God has this incredible ability To manufacture something. Everyone thinks they're getting what they want. Everyone thinks they're winning. They're all working for the purposes of God. And none of them knew. Truly, our God reigns. Friends, truly. The Bible says that all the earth rejoice. That all the earth rejoice for our God reigns. And that His presence mountains. That at his presence, the mountains will melt like wax at the glory of the Lord. He reigns. He's above us. He really is. And this day, Palm Sunday, was an appointed day, and he orchestrated it even through his enemies. Even through these enemies, he won. He let them all think they're winning, and he won. I want to give you some hope today God knows what he's doing and sometimes it gets dark God will not be mocked his purposes shall stand because he reigns, he is above he is beyond he knows what's happening, he's not taken by surprise people think they're winning They're not. (laughs) And this is an appointed day. Everything came together, according to what he said. Everything. But I'll tell you, there's another day that's appointed. There is another day. The Bible speaks of the day of the Lord. There is a day when the Bible says that the feet of our king will once again touch down on the Mount of Olives, And the mountain will split in two and a river will flow both ways. And on that day, on that day, you will either stand with him or you won't. And he will come, not on a donkey, friends. Please hear me. He's coming on a white horse to make war. And he holds a scepter in his hand with which he will judge the nations. And he will tread the fierceness of the wrath of Almighty God. That day is coming. This day has happened. But that day is coming. So who do you stand with? I encourage you. Think about it. Who do you stand with? Because on that day, I said to my friends after I came out of a rough life, I went and preached to them, and I said to them, every knee will bow. And tongue will confess by force or by choice, but it will bow. If you are here and you do not know the Lord, I'm not trying to scare you, but I'm telling you the truth. There is a day coming where it won't be the Prince of Peace. It will be Christ on a horse in glory and in magnificent power. And the whole earth, it says, will see it at once, and they will fall and say, the King, the King, the King. And that brings me hope. No matter what's going on around us, He knows what He's doing. He will not be mocked. He knows what He's doing. Can we trust Him again? Can we believe in Him again? Why don't we stand? If you're not here today, and you, if you if you're here today and you don't know the Lord, before you leave this building. There will be people up here on my left, a ministry team. Please come and speak to them and they will help you and introduce you to Jesus. Can we pray real quick? Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you that this is actually a day of joy and of hope that, Lord, everyone thinks they know what's happening, but you alone know and you alone see and you know That the purposes of God shall stand. That God reigns. That all the earth be glad. That the isles rejoice. Your throne is made up of righteousness and justice. The earth sees and trembles. And the mountains melt like wax at the presence of the Lord. Before the Lord of all the earth. For all his saints shall see and know your glory, Lord. Psalm 97. We thank you for your presence here today. Lord, I pray that this word goes into our hearts, that in tough days and tough times, we can just say, God reigns. I don't need to understand, but I will obey anyway. I don't need to understand, I will worship anyway. I will praise anyway. I will speak the truth anyway, because my God has a plan, and no one can thwart it, no one. We bless you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.